Jim Stroud fights to save America from the woke agenda by exposing the left and inspiring right turns with facts and informed opinions. Prepare yourself for intriguing interviews, political snark, and social commentary from a patriotic and conservative perspective. And it all starts in three, two, one. The Things I Think About podcast begins now. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another exciting episode of the Things I Think About podcast. I'm your host, Jim Stroud. Thank you for being there because if you were not there, I would be here talking to myself. Well, not really. I have a special guest to talk to, (laughs) which you will meet right now. Special guest, tell us who are you and what do you do? Sure. My name is Dr. David Wilcox. I am am a healthcare disruptor. So the things Mm. that are occurring in healthcare right now with healthcare being complex, you know, it's, if you've ever tried to maneuver around the healthcare system, you understand that there's all kinds of pitfalls. That complexity is not an accident. It's been arranged that way by the healthcare entities who are buying for your dollars. So, yeah. So I've written a book. It's called How to Avoid Being a Victim of the American Healthcare System, A Patient's Handbook for Survival, to break down those complexities into layperson's terms so that they can use that as a manual. For instance, there's a guy that lives in my neighborhood who was going to have surgery. Well, he got a hold of the book before he knew he was going to have surgery, and it's selective. So he went into the surgeon's office after reading the chapter about what do you ask a surgeon, and he started rattling off all these questions. Are you on call the night before? Um, can I be your first case when you're freshest during the day? The doctor looked at him like he had three heads. But this is the, <laughs> this is the kind of information that people need to know and, and should be in the hands of the American people. You know, that's, that sounds like common sense to ask to be the first patient of the day, but it's something I, I don't think I would have ever thought about. Is oh, it sure, statistically you're... best to be the first patient of the day? Yes, it is. And the other thing that you want to think about, I don't know about you, but Mm. me, I love to eat, right? And so you (laughs) can't have any food or water after midnight when you're going in for surgery. So if you go in at five o'clock in the afternoon, you're going to be miserable. So hit the doctor when he's fresh. Don't be the last case of the day standing between him and happy hour. You know, you want to to get in right away. (laughs) Interesting. Interesting. Um, Okay. Let's say that... um, God forbid, I have to go to the hospital uh, for whatever reason. Uh, what's something I need to keep in mind just going into the hospital, going to the emergency room? What, what should be on my mind beyond my ailment? So going to the hospital, you should be able to provide them a list of your current medications. If you're going to get hurt in a hospital, it's going to be around medication statistics show. So, you know, give it to everybody. Give it to the nurse who's doing your intake give it to the doctor. When you see the doctor, have multiple copies of what you normally take. And then, especially if you're going in for surgery, when you get out, make sure that you've given it to to your doctor to to reconcile and put back in the chart. Medications are crazy. There's some medications with three different names. Tylenol has a different name if it's generic. It has a different name if it's a brand, and it has a different name if it's an IV infusion. So given that, Whenever a nurse tries to give you medication, you should always ask, what is this pill for? 
and your medications may come back in generic form from the hospital pharmacy. Another little trick you can do too is you can bag your medications up and ask them to use your medications, which will save you some money too. Really? I did not know that. I thought they had to use the medicine that they had. That's oh, that, wow. Because I know sometimes you can get like a, an aspirin and it'll cost you $20 for one yeah, pill. Exactly. <laughs> I did not know that. Has that always been the case? Yeah. You can bring your medicine in? Yeah, you can. It's uh, the pharmacy doesn't like to do that because they have to verify it. But, you know, it's not about the pharmacy. It's about you. You know, you're being a partner in your health care. That way you're ensuring you know what those medications are and you're also cutting costs, right? Wow. The other thing is if you're going to have a surgery, you could have one in a hospital. Like if you're going to have a total knee, might set you back $12,000. If you have that same surgery in an ambulatory care center, it might set you back $8,000. So why the price differential? Because in the hospital, there's more overhead. Now, and in a day surgery, you're in and you're out, you know, ambulatory mm -hmm. surgical centers. But if you're somebody who has a lot of comorbidities, like if you have diabetes and congestive heart failure, and you're just sickly in general, you should go to the hospital. Huh. But for huh. us young, healthy guys, Jim, <laughs> we, should, <laughs> we should go to the ambulatory surgery center. Wow, I'm going to have to remember that one. Um, <laughs> There have been times when uh, insurance companies have denied a claim. I'm, I'm sure it's happened to a listener. It's happened to me for sure. How could I, how should I handle that? Or how should I have to handle that? Okay. So let me answer that with a story. Okay. So I had to settle an estate for my aunt. She had no children and I was the son she never had. And so in settling that estate, I was having problems with an unnamed insurance company as she was getting IV medications and they didn't wanna pay for the supplies. It was a pretty significant amount. And so I would call and they would tell me, well, the person who handles that isn't here today. Um, they're on vacation. So I'd call a week later and they would say, please hold. And I'd get disconnected. So finally I was, I had to see a doctor friend of mine. Um, she lived out of state who, who I knew. And I said to him, what can I do about this? And he said, oh, you know what you wanna do? You wanna call it you want to call the senator's office for that state. And I said, why do I want to do that? And he said to me, you'll get results. Trust me. He says, I've had other people do it. So I call the senator's office. I get a brief hold. I get an, an aide that comes on the phone and says, oh yeah, we got a guy over at that insurance company. No problem. Five days later, I get notice that they're going to pay it. And within two weeks, I had the money. So not a lot of people know that, but you know, these politicians, they work for you, right? Yeah, you don't work for them. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. In theory. <laughs> so you, you call it. So you have a problem with your insurance. You call your senator and they'll pull some strings from that. I don't have to be a big shot. I don't have to be a big shot to do this. I could be just. Nope. They, you'd be surprised how well they're connected because they're all getting campaign contributions from the insurance company. So, you know, they've got they've got inroads there. Now, that was an extreme example. You could actually call the insurance company and try to and try to maneuver around it yourself. Um, a lot of people who don't have insurance, and that's important because we have a lot of unemployed people right now, right? So either by choice or by design, they, they can actually call the hospital because the hospital will charge you full price if you don't have insurance. The insurance company negotiates a price. They say, hey, you're gonna do um, 800 total knees for us this year, so we're gonna pay you X amount. They negotiate a price. But you come in, they're going to be like, ah, no, you're going to pay full price because you don't have that negotiating power. Well, you do. 
you can call and ask to speak to the financial representatives and you can negotiate down your price before you even get in the door. Of course, they're not gonna tell you what your price is before you get in the door, but you can negotiate it down. Is there a way to look that up? So like if I had to do knee surgery, I can look and see what the going rate is for a knee? Um, there is a healthbluebook.com that you can look it up on. Really? And, yeah, and you can check out your area. That's the most accurate. And I cover that in the book too. Hmm. Um, that's the most accurate because President Trump put in an executive order for price transparency in hospitals that they would have to list out their procedures and what they cost. And the hospitals are just, they're fined $300 a day. That's like $10,000, like $10,000 a year mm -hmm. or $110,000 a year. So they don't really care about that. They don't want you to know the price because you'll start to shop around and try to find a lower alternative care, especially if you have a very high deductible, right? Sure. You're gonna, yeah. So that is a big secret, but they're not being compliant with it and they don't care because they're just not paying all that much. Now, there's some legislation that they're trying to introduce where they would pay $1,500 a day, um, you know, but with the amount of money they make, they just don't want to list it. Wow. Wow. I know that healthcare is a business and all that. Oh, yeah. But I'm, but I'm really seeing it's, it's all about the money. It's more about the money than the healthcare, would you, would you say? Yeah, definitely. So healthcare is one fifth of our economy right now, right? Sure, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so nobody really wants to fix it. Um, but there is, there is an alternative that's starting to pick up some steam. Actually, it's a, we live in a fee for service environment. So okay. when you walk, in, you walk into your doctor's office or your hospital, cha-ching, you're making money, right? right? So if you weren't there, they wouldn't make, they wouldn't make any money. There is a value-based care model which is paid on the quality of care you receive. So in that model, they set the insurance company gives your doctor's office maybe $1,000 for the year to keep you healthy. If he spends anything over that, he eats it. If he doesn't spend that $1,000, he gets to keep it as profit. It's distributed by accountable care organizations or ACOs. And it's quite popular. In fact, there were... 11 healthcare entities, both being uh, hospitals and doctors, who wrote to our wonderful representatives in Washington and said, you know, we saved $4.1 billion in val using value-based care in the year 2020. We think that we can save you another $313 million if you, if you put this into the infrastructure package. We will help you pay for the infrastructure package. What they hear from Washington? crickets wow oh. yeah now that sounds vaguely vaguely familiar to me is is, is this value-based medicine um is that being practiced in like japan or some other asian country no this is a no they have more of a socialized medicine over there it's not the same thing this okay. is more of a how do you keep your it's a proactive approach to keeping you healthy right mm -hmm. if i'm getting incentivized to keep you out of the hospital or keep you out of the doctor's office and manage your medications, then I'm gonna get more creative with a team approach. So in a fee-for-service model, the doctor doesn't really talk, the cardiologist may not talk to your attending doctor. They, they read each other's notes, but when they're in a network like that, boy, do they talk because they wanna keep you out. So here's another story. So my brother-in-law, 
Mm. He got a hip done and he was under a bundled payment. That was, it's a value-based care model. They get paid a certain amount and that's it. And they get, to, like I said, keep the profit if they can underspend. So they send him out, everything goes well. He's at home and all of a sudden he feels like his chest hurts. So they take him into the ED and they work him up for a heart attack, which is a very expensive workup and find out, no, it's not that. My brother-in-law doesn't drink or anything and they gave him Oxycontin to take. So he was, he, he couldn't handle the drugs, the pain drugs. Right. So. Sure. so then all of a sudden the next day, a nurse comes out to the house to check on him, right? So I'm having dialogue with my sister and she said, oh, it's wonderful. She said, these nurses, they come out every day and check on him. She goes, and it's all free. And I said, well, no, it's really not free. They're looking out for their own interest because he went to the emergency room and they had to eat that visit. Um, but value-based care is gonna be the answer to driving down costs in healthcare. And it's something that every American should know about because if you can get taken care of under an ACO model, the numbers show that you're going to have better care and you're going to not access the system as much. That is, you blew my mind with that. That makes so much sense. Uh, I understand why it's not happening because it's, that would cut down the payoffs yep, exactly. <laughs> to a lot, of, a lot of people. So I see why they resist it, but wow, that makes so much sense. And, and hmm, so you change the incentive. So the way that the system is now, doctors have an incentive, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, doctors have an incentive to use certain drugs maybe, or they have certain incentives to, to uh, do certain procedures, even if it's not needed. That, um, under fee right? for serv- yeah, under fee for service, you can, they are incentivized to order more tests for sure. Wow. And did he get kickbacks for using certain, recommending certain drugs? Not necessarily kickbacks. That, that stopped a while back, but that, that was occurring up until probably about seven years ago um, when it was addressed. But here's something that'll blow your mind too. Hmm. Ever hear of a pharmacy benefit manager? No, I never heard of that. Okay. Yeah. Most of America doesn't know about these guys, but they sit in the supply chain between the insurance companies and the pharmacies and negotiate the prices of your drugs. And they, they do it through a series of having coupons and incentives and things like that. So um, what they'll do is they will, if your doctor says you can have a generic brand drug and they've got a coupon for a name brand drug, they'll substitute it and they'll keep the difference. So here's a, here's a good story. So I, have, okay. I had an English set. Her name was Pippi Lou, and she <laughs> um, she developed some heart problems. Mm. So the vet prescribed Viagra for her. Viagra, <laughs> right? A happy dog. I didn't dip into it, Jim. <laughs> Not that I'll tell. <laughs> but he he prescribed Viagra because it really was an anti uh, hyper pulmonary hypertensive drug, mm-hmm. and so that's what it was originally used for. Once they found out that it had a side effect, uh, <laughs> price shot right up. So my wife goes to the pharmacy to fill the prescription. We don't have insurance for the dog, right? Or any of that stuff. And the pharmacy tells her it's going to be over $700 for a month's supply. And she's like, you got to be kidding me. So she leaves the pharmacy, doesn't get it. And then she grabs a good RX app and she plugs it in there and she finds it across town for $63 for the month. My point being, if they could afford to sell it for $63 and make a profit because pharmacy returns 
15 to 25% of their stockholders every quarter, right? right. If, they, if they could sell it at 63, why the heck are they selling it at 700 across, you know, across town? And my book goes into great detail about that and how you can drive down your, your drug prices. Oh my God. And if that you're is, really sick, yeah. if you're really sick, hmm. you're going to pay more money because if you've got stage four cancer or something like that, or if you're diabetic and you need insulin, they're going to charge you right through the roof. I'm... Wow. Does that apply with, with the value? Um, how you say, oh, how you said again, the, the value medicine, what's that yeah. called again? Value-based care. Value-based care. How does having um, uh, comorbidities, well, comor um, uh, serious conditions like say congenitive heart failure or uh, diabetes, are they allowed into that value-based uh, system? Yes. Yes, but see, the value-based system is incentivized to keep them in the network. So how do you keep somebody like that in the network? You help them find that insulin for a lower cost. So Walmart has, has put in place an initiative to get insulin, drive down the insulin costs so that everybody will go to Walmart, right, and shop and get right. their insulin. So right. they've got a, their benefit to that is they increase their business by offering you lower insulin prices. But it's out there, man. People just don't know about it. So they've, I can't tell you how many times people will go to a pharmacy counter. They just got out of the ED and they need something and they find out, you know, am I going to, am I going to have to not buy food or am I going to buy this medication? Uh, but they don't know, you know, pick up a good RX app, plug it in and see what you find. Wow. I've heard how some people want to buy their meds in Canada because they're so much cheaper there. Sure. What's, what's the deal with that? So we pay for the research and development in this country, which is, which is not right. The rest of the world should pay for the research and development. The mm. problem is there's a law on the books for Medicare that will not allow them to negotiate the price. They, and I say that again, there's a law on the books that won't let Medicare negotiate the price. The guy who rammed it through is actually working for a pharmaceutical foundation making $2 million a year. That was his that was his payoff for it. But in other countries, you can negotiate, right? Medicare is one of the biggest payers in this country. But Medicaid is allowed to negotiate. And that's why the drug prices for Medicaid are a lot lower than they are for Medicare. Is to, to hmm, wow. I, I'm still on this value-based medical care system here. <laughs> How could we make that? um the norm over here we, we would have to lobby the government to change it or do we just say you know what i'm gonna just find one of these systems and just opt myself in uh, into it how do you well, if i wanted to do that and it's very interesting to me how would i even go about doing that you would start to lobby the government see the problem is we have all these healthcare entities that and we saw this during this pandemic, right? They're, you don't know what they're gonna say and, and how accurate it is and all of that, but we have them all over the place, but we don't have something designed for the people. We don't have somebody who sits at the top of that change that says, let me tell you what's going on politically and let me tell you what we can do as a collective body of people that wanna make a difference. And that's really what we need because then if we did a campaign to say, we want that Medicare law thrown out, we're all getting ready to retire, right? Mm. there would be immense pressure on Congress and the Senate to throw that law out. Wow. Uh, wow. 
what what else that and I limit wow the time is flying is flying by what um what is something else that people just don't know that your book exposes okay so um let me see we talked about we didn't talk about insurance companies insurance companies they're just middle people like I work for a company that's self-insured and the costs are so much lower than the than being in an insurance company. Mm -hmm. But when they start to go at risk for Medicaid populations, here's a good example um, of a major insurance carrier that went at risk in the state of Arizona. Okay. They figured out quite quickly that there were some individuals, homeless individuals that were costing them over $25,000 a month by accessing the emergency department. Because in the emergency department, there's an MTALA law that says they have to treat you. They can't just like turn you away. They have to stabilize you and treat you. So if you're homeless, going to the emergency department to get your medications, to get a free meal becomes something that you can do and get away with pretty easily. Um, so what this insurance company figured out who these individuals were, and then they approached them and they said, look, we bought an apartment complex down at this side of town. We want to give you a place to live, but the payoff is that you don't go into the hospital anymore and you don't go into the emergency department. We have a nurse practitioner who comes in for four hours a day and you'll get your costs there. We'll help you, we'll help you sign up for SSI. So they found those heavy hitters that were costing them a bunch of money right. and took them off the street and housed them. And then if they didn't comply, if they kept going back to the emergency room, they just tossed them out. But what about the poor guy who's really trying to make it who's homeless, right? He doesn't access the emergency room. He gets nothing, nothing. So in that model, they figured out how to drive down the cost so they could return the money to their shareholders, which sounds very humanitarian, but it's really all about the money at the end of the day. It sounds to me like everything's about the money. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately. But that, but that being said, there's a lot of great doctors and nurses that just really want to help people. And again, you know, this stuff, it's not common knowledge. And that's why I wrote that my book, you know, because I want this. I want people to know about this because unless we band and do it collectively, I mean, there's frustrated doctors who are just like, oh, I can't believe that pharmacy benefit manager, who, by the way, you can't get a hold of, turned down the chemo that I wanted for my stage four cancer patient. So, um, you know, and they do that. They make that decision. They don't have medical degrees, but they make that decision. The insurance company will call back and say, hey, you got to try this chemo. And the doctor will say, no, I I'm, I know my patient, this is a chemo I want to try. And they'll be like, sorry, it costs less. You got to try it. Well, I want to talk to the person who made that decision. Well, you can't, you can't, if you pull up, if you tried to call the insurance company and say, I want to talk to a pharmacy benefit manager, they put you on the long hold and then they would disconnect you. You can't reach these guys. They sit in secret. They make these decisions and you know, nobody knows about it, but that's why your drug prices are so high. That's why it was $700 for Viagra at one store and 63 at the other you know? Wow. Wow. That's, that's, that is so unfair. Uh, beyond words. I, hmm. Wow. I, I, hmm. The, the, position start, the, the position started off right when they first started. Mm -hmm. um, but then the pharmaceutical companies bought them all up. And so now they got leverage, they got somebody to blame. And they and even the pharmaceutical companies will blame them for higher drug prices when they're working in tandem back and forth together, you know? So. Is there a way, uh, is there a way to discourage the business relationship between pharmaceutical companies and healthcare providers? Um, sort of like 
um, you can't do insider. It's sort of like it, it feels like it's sort of like an insider trading kind of kind of deal. Yeah. Uh, is there a way to stop this, for lack of a better term, insider training between pharma and healthcare yep. providers? Yeah, it's called price transparency. And there are some electro electronic medical records that are building that in so that when the doctor actually, ER doc goes to prescribe a drug, it'll go through the pharmacy benefit manager to the pharmacy and he'll be able to come back in the room and tell the person what the drug's gonna cost them. And if the person says, I can't afford that doc, that he can go back and try to find something else. Um, that's that's one of the fixes that we're seeing, but you never know what you're going to pay. You know, there's for a procedure, for a drug, it's all a crapshoot because nobody wants to talk about it because they're making profits and they don't want those profits interrupted. And that's the other push for value-based care, right? The doctors want to keep the money. They want to keep the extra money. They don't want me coming in and out. So they're going to get creative. If I've got congestive heart failure, and I'm accessing the ED a bit, they can get me an electronic wireless scale, they can get me a blood pressure cuff, they can get me an oximeter to measure my oxygen levels, and I can get on there every day, and they have a nurse navigator who calls me and says, hey, David, you know, you put on four pounds in two days, look, come, come see the doctor before I go into a full-blown crisis and cost, cost them money by accessing the healthcare system. So there's ways to get creative using technology, um, you know, price transparency, and that's really where we have to move. I mean, you know, one fifth of our economy is healthcare. And people aren't gonna work on it unless we push them as, as the American people. I am sold on the idea of this book. It is so well needed. I mean, I had a suspicion of how much I needed to know, but now I really know there's a lot I don't know. <laughs> really need to know. Tell us again the title of your book and how they can contact you if they have further questions. Sure. How to avoid being a victim of the American healthcare system and a patient's handbook for survival. It's available on Amazon. You know, no publisher was going to touch me, so I self-published <laughs> it. And you can get a hold of me at David at dr David Wilcox with one L dot com. I also have a website. Um, which you can access to. There's, there's a lot of information on the website and I have a YouTube video talking about why I wrote this book and, and the need for it. Well, the need is definitely, uh, definitely apparent. <laughs> Thank you so much for the hard work you put into this. This is uh, something I'm going to go and, and definitely buy for myself. This is really interesting. Dr. David Wilcox, thanks so much for being on the Things I Think About podcast. Thank you. You just heard the Things I Think About podcast. If you love what you heard, hate what you heard, or don't know what you just heard, Jim Stroud wants to hear from you. Contact him at jimstroud at jimstroud.com. And while you're at it, share this podcast and spread the word that it's up to us to save America. Okay, so now we're in the show after the show. This is where I... Uh, ask guests, is there anything you should have said or didn't think about until after the show was over? So now it's your turn. Is there anything you wanted to say uh, during the podcast that you forgot to get into? Yeah, so let's talk about this pandemic and COVID. So we saw pharmaceutical companies rush right in to develop a vaccine, right? Now, government funded it. It's probably the fastest vaccine that was ever developed. What, but what, what's the late, what is the typical lifespan of developing a vaccine? How long does it typically take to make one and get approved? 
smallpox was about three years, I think. And that was, a that was the fastest one, um, before this. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, there's all that testing and stuff, right. That has yeah. to occur. Um, but so I don't know if you know this, but the flu shot that you take every year is a variant of the 1918 Spanish flu. That's what's left of the 1918 Spanish flu. So, really? yeah. So the pharmaceutical companies knew this was a hundred year strategy at least, right? Cause we're in 2021 and we're still taking that flu shot. Wow. I thought it's, I thought, I thought what we take today would, would at the very least be some kind of new cocktail. <laughs> they, they dreamed up. But they're still using the old stuff on the, on the top of the shelf, back of the shelf. Well, well they, it, you know, it morphs every year. So they have to, they have to redesign the vaccine. That's what's going to happen with COVID too. Um, I think, and this is just me, just my opinion, that once this Delta thing is over, you're going to start to see it dummy down. And then it's going to become a yearly shot or every six months, or you're going to get boosters or whatever. But the pharmacy companies know that and it's going to make them a lot of money over the next hundred years, just like that flu shot did for 1918 Spanish flu. And we're just about at the point that Delta is spreading so fast that either people have gotten the antibodies through vaccines or they get it through being sick if they survive it, that the new, new variants of COVID aren't going to have any place to jump to. Now, hopefully from my mouth to God's ears, but that's what I, that's, well, my opinion is, I think that's going to happen. What do you think about natural remedies and taking supplements and not being obese and that kind of stuff? Yeah, that is definitely key, right? To take, to be taking your vitamin D, your zinc, that kind of stuff and keep yourself healthy. I mean, the book is all about how to be a partner in your healthcare. You know, if a doctor says something, wants to do a test and you're, you're like scratching your head, you need to ask some questions, right? So keeping yourself healthy is definitely and we saw it with people who were really healthy, fared better than people who weren't healthy. So, you know, you got a decision at lunch. Do you get a salad or do you get a cheeseburger? You know, oh, that's go with tough. the salad. That's go with the salad. <laughs> <laughs> because I know there are a lot of people who are, who are thinking, okay, uh, winter is coming. And how do you know if you got just a regular cold or regular flu or some super mutant strain? <laughs> so the right. best defense is just to keep yourself healthy. What, yep. are, what, what would you say are some, some tips just to prevent yourself from getting sick in the flu season? So uh, hand washing is always good. Um, sure. and, and I mean, washing for over 20 seconds with good thick soap um, that lathers up nicely. You know, I don't know, for me right now with Delta around, I, I mask up when I go indoors. If I'm outdoors, I don't mask up. So those are the things that have kept me from getting it, I believe. Um, and then, you know, the food you eat. I mean, always go for organic. If you can go for organic, you don't have to worry about pesticides. You don't have to worry about things floating around in your body that shouldn't be there. Um, organic is the way to go if you can do it. There's a part in the book that talks about the little numbers, like, like on bananas and things like that. So you can mm -hmm. tell if it was genetically modified, anything that's GMO, you shouldn't touch. Um, Russia won't even let GMO products in their country. They've wow. totally banned them. But we have them here because they say it's going to extend the food supply. And nobody knows what it does. It, it, there's some examples in the book of what it did to some mice, some pregnant mice and things like that it was not wow. good. So now I'm going to nervously read your book. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, sir, for being on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you.